And you just don't have the desire to do anything good. Or maybe you're bitter and angry because people hurt you. Maybe you are hopeless and helpless, worthless and feel useless. What's the hardest thing in your life right now? Maybe some of you, the hardest thing in your life right now is the fact I'm asking that question. Because by God's grace, God is good. So you're like, I don't know, nothing. Well, my question to you then is, what in the life of your friends is hard? Maybe it's they're fighting with their parents. Maybe they have drawn it. Maybe they're hurting. How is your friend suffering? When I was in middle school, my friends were hurt by gossip and rumors about them. They hated their parents so much they wanted to run away from home. They're harming themselves with blades and piercings. They're addicted to texting, social media, and drugs. They're dating and pulling around and getting their hearts broken. They're exposing themselves to corrupting videos and pictures and enslaved to their lusts. What about your friends? What is going to change that much? What is their suffering? Tonight's passage is about how God responds to us in our suffering and how he wants us to respond to our suffering. If you feel like life is a constant during a pain and strife, this sermon's for you. I hope you hear the encouragement God has for you can wear. I want you to see that he is power and love. Maybe you're fine, but your friends are weighed down with pain. And so this sermon is also for you. I want you to give them something real, biblical hope, biblical truth, compassionate counsel. I want you to be confident that God is the answer to their prayer. And if you neither are suffering, nor have friends who are currently suffering, I will remind you that you still live in a very painful world, and so this sermon is also for you. People hurt, sin, die. This world is cursed. Maybe right now things are calm, and praise God for that. But what, what about tomorrow? What about the storm that comes after the calm? So listen today, and be prepared for tomorrow. The key idea for today is that God has all power and all compassion to help you in your suffering. Do you believe Him? God has all power and all compassion to help you in your suffering. Do you believe Him? Our first point is help. I'm suffering. In this passage, we meet a dude who says, Boy. And listen to what his dad says about him. My son has a spirit that has made him mute, means he cannot talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid, which means paralyzed. This has happened since childhood. It has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. So imagine this boy was your little brother. For his entire life, he's never said anything else, anything to you. Other, other kids, you know, they complain about their siblings annoying them and saying any jokes. But you give anything just to hear your little brother say hi. Ever since he was young, he had these, these demon attacks about warning him to throw himself in the pool like a madman. He'd ride with all his strength. He'd foam on his mouth like an animal. And his teeth, he'd pound together in pain. You, your parents, your siblings could do nothing. To help him. Sometimes he would throw himself into the fire of the fireplace. Other times he would intentionally burn his body on the stove. 
He was never safe in the water. At the beach, he would throw himself into the ocean to try to drown. And the pool, he would do the same. What if I was able to go? See his scars and the burn marks all over his body. Feel the fear that you would live in. Hear your parents sobbing as they saved him once again in the water. The demoniac boy was a raving, suicidal terror. What would you do? What could you do? This demoniac suffering was intense. But you don't need to be possessed by a demon to suffer. I'm very confident that none of you have a demon. demon, and yet I'm also very confident that we suffer. Again, what's the hardest thing you are going through or your friends are going through? Some of us here suffer from an ungodly perspective of our bodies. If this is you, every time you go on social media or every time you go in public, you feel ugly. But too skinny or too fat, too tall or too short, too plain or too, well, too you. You're driven to always look your best, to test that new makeup, to buy that new dress, and to try on and your stuff. You're destined to be told that you're beautiful, that you're worthy, that you matter, that you're cherished and loved. Others of us suffer from ungodly attractions. If this is you, you're attracted to someone or something that is forbidden. And you start to feel like you're a prisoner in your own body. You feel like no one understands, there's no hope for acceptance or peace. And if you consider the challenge of battling this temptation for the rest of your life, it feels hopeless. Where will you find love? Where will you find acceptance? Some of us here are addicted to screens. And if this is you, you're a slave to your devices. When you're not staring at the screen, you're thinking about the next time you can stare at the screen. Maybe right now, you're thinking about when you can stare at a screen. You plan your life around when you can watch, binge, play, stream. You enjoy the digital world more than the real world, and you escape to that fake world because this real world just seems too hard. But it doesn't really satisfy because it's never enough. Others of us have doubts about the Christian faith. If this is you, you'll learn about all these religions in school. Taoism, Confucianism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Catholicism, and even Christianity. And you're wondering, okay, who's right? Okay, they're all different, kind of, they're all kind of the same. But who's right? How can I be sure that Christianity, what the Bible says, is actually true? It's not just some clever line that someone made up a long, long time ago. You're afraid to ask your parents, because you think they're going mad. And you're afraid to ask the single church, because you're afraid that you will disappoint. There's that, leaders, for example. So you feel suffocated by your questions, and yet you have no hope in getting out. Others of us, probably all of us, suffer from just really difficult relationships. You get a young message with your mom, maybe even tonight, right before you're going to be You and your sibling are constantly each other's skin, one moment you're friends, the next moment you're enemies. Not one friend in your group is talking behind your back, and you just want to stop. You just feel angry, trapped, wrong, unloved. So we suffer. Loneliness and shame, isolation, self-hatred, addictions and lusts, doubts and fears. It's suffering, it's suffering, it's suffering. These are the thorns of our world. Our world cursed by sin. So what will we do? Running away doesn't work. Drowning in busyness or entertainment doesn't work. Pretending like you don't have a problem doesn't work. 
What will we do with this offering? In our passage, the father of the demonic child brings his suffering to Jesus. Point two is help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Listen to what the father says. In verse 17, he says, Teacher, I brought my son to you. In verse 22, in the middle, he says, But if you can do anything, Jesus, have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my own belief. This father's desperate for a son to be healed. For years he's failed. None of the Jews can help him. None of the Gentiles can help him. Not even when he brought his son, Jesus' disciples, could they help him. It's just failure. Imagine how frustrated you'd be. How distressed, how discouraged. All he wants is for his son to be healthy. That's it. To be like you, walking and running and playing basketball. That's all he wants. But he can't get it. He's absolutely powerless. It's kind of like you and I. We keep trying over and over to stop hitting ourselves, to stop being sad, to stop being addicted. And you just can't stop. You're helpless. You cannot help yourself. So desperation, the Father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, if you can do anything, that means he doesn't know what Jesus can. He doubts. So Jesus is definitely the extended. He basically answers his question by saying, I can. I can do something. But do you believe me? Do you believe it? And that leads to one of the most heart-wrenching statements in the book of Mark. The man says, the father says, I believe. Help my unbelief. This tragically summarizes the Christian life. It's the tension between what I know and what I actually feel. As a Christian, I fundamentally believe that God is an all-powerful, all-compassionate God. That is who is the real self in the Bible, therefore I believe. But often my circumstances, my mind swirls. Just like you. Swirls with doubts. I do believe, but there are parts of me that really don't believe. There are parts of me that do not 100% trust the might and mercy of the God of the universe. For example, I believe God hears my prayers, but does he always answer them for my good? I believe that Jesus is my good shepherd, but will he really bring me all the way home to heaven? I believe that God works everything for my good and for his great glory to make me more like Jesus, but does that really mean everything, everything? Like loneliness, depression, despair, betrayal, slander, pain, even those things of God, do you work for good? You probably feel the same tension. We believe. But God, help our own belief. Most of us here will say, yes, God has power to heal the sick, to raise the dead. This we believe. And at the same time, we doubt whether God has the power to take away our shame, to heal us of feeling unloved and dirty. We doubt whether God can make us truly thankful that he has made our bodies exactly as we want And that what he says about us is that we are worthy because we are his We doubt that God really has a good purpose for our anxiety, our stress, our sadness, our brokenness. We doubt that God can be our satisfaction, our only good. Yes, we believe. But God, help our unbelief. In the same way, probably all of us would agree that yes, God loves and cares for us, right? He just loves him to send out the Bible tells you so. Everyone knows that song. Especially, we know that God cares for the church, for the youth group, 
reliable system correctly. And yet, we doubt that God really cares that we're struggling in that cost. We doubt that God really cares about our loneliness, our evil thoughts, our exciting screams and drama with our friends. We doubt that God cares about our suicidal thoughts and our failures. We doubt that God cares not only about our Sunday mornings, but our Saturday mornings. We doubt that He cares about our sports, our practices, our hobbies, our exhaustion, our fear, our doubt. Yes, even our unbelief. Yes, we believe. But God, help our unbelief. In this unbelief, we make God a puny, Barbie-sized little God. A God of Sundays, not the other day. A God of the church, not of the entire universe. In our belief, we think that God can do, you know, this little thing over here. Maybe like, I don't know, I'm getting the Bible there. But not that really big thing that we think we actually need. In our unbelief, we think that God cares about this little thing over here. I don't know, maybe that we don't get our siblings. But we doubt that he actually cares about this big thing that we really need help with. In our unbelief, we call God a sort of powerful, sort of compassionate, little g, God. And if we do that, it's no wonder we're all hopeless. We have a God who is helpless. And that is our God. It's out of this kind of doubting heart, the Father says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. We can basically break down to doubts into two fundamental questions. Two fundamental questions. Number one, is Jesus able to do anything about my suffering? Number two, is Jesus willing to care for me and my suffering? So is Jesus able to do anything about my suffering? And is Jesus willing to care for me and my suffering? The Father didn't know. The Father and the Son believed and it didn't believe. He had faith, yet was weakened by his own thoughts. Look at me at verse 25. And when Jesus saw a crowd came, and Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out, convulsing and terribly, it came out. And the boys were coarse, so that most of them said, He's dead! But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now, the whole point of the book of Mark right, is to show us who is Jesus Christ, the Savior King. And so far, throughout the book of Mark, these first nine chapters, Mark has told us that Jesus is the beloved Son of God, the Holy One of God. He is the one who moved with compassion, stretched out his hand to touch the leper. And he said, I'm willing to be clean. He's the one who has the authority of God to even forgive sins. He's the one who is stronger than Satan, who metaphorically bound up Satan in order to set the captives free. He's the one whom the demons fear because he has authority to torment them forever. And he's also the one who has compassion, who saw the people and said they're like sheep without a shepherd. He's also the one who heals the sick, cleanses the unclean, raises the dead, makes the blind see, makes the deaf hear, makes the disabled walk, feeds thousands of the wilderness, walks on the water, calms the storm with just a word, and even casts out a demon from his neat, suicidal, tormented world. This is who Jesus is. This is the word Jesus Christ. This is the one who died on the cross and rose again from the dead for our salvation. He is called the best and last revelation of God in this age. 
Meaning that he showed us what God is really like. So with those two questions. Is Jesus able to do anything about my suffering? Is Jesus willing to take care of me in my suffering? The answer must be yes. It must be yes. But really, I think this is the harder question. It comes down to the third question. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe what Jesus says? Do you believe that God is able to do something to help you in your suffering? Do you believe that God is willing to care for you in love? Now here it clearly. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying, if you believe enough, that God will take over your suffering and kill you. I'm not saying that, right? You must believe instead that God is using, can use, and will use your suffering for his glory and your good. Or as have too much to say, nothing passes into your life without first passing through the filter of God's love. Meaning that if your suffering is because God is kindly using that circumstance for you, if you're his son, if you're his daughter. God never promises to take away temporary suffering just because you trust him. Think of Jesus. Jesus trusted God all the way to the end, and he got crucified. Instead of God promises, it's something better. He says that if you trust me, he will use even bad things for your ultimate good. Romans 8.28 says, For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Again. For those who love God, Christians, all things work together for good. All things means all things. In God's hands, suffering is for your greater joy, your greater love, your greater thanksgiving. Suffering is God's blessed teacher for you. When I say that we need to trust God in our suffering, I'm also not saying the reason you're suffering is because of your history. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying the reason you're suffering is because of faith is weak. Being stronger in faith doesn't mean you get more of what you want. We can't manipulate God. No, being strong in faith means you trust God no matter what He leads you through, whether you pleasure or pain. Psalm 23 4 says, Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. We trust God. Not because he promises to take away suffering. Not because it will shield us from suffering. Because God is worthy. So when I say we need to trust God, thirdly, I'm not saying God only helps those who have perfect faith. I'm not saying that God only helps those who have perfect faith. God is so merciful that he receives even imperfect faith. I mean, that's the only kind of faith you want to have, right? Last time I checked, we're all sinister. If you look at the demoniac's father, he was a mixture of faith and unbelief. And yet, what did God do? What did Jesus do? He healed his son. He healed his son. The father didn't earn the miracle by his faith, yet Jesus graciously loved him. Because Jesus is full of compassion. So we must believe that God is all powerful and all compassionate. He's willing and able to help us in the suffering, help us in our suffering. It's not because if we trust him, we get a get out of suffering and free card. That's not how God does it. We trust him because he is trustworthy. It's because he's true. It's because he's always good. Now, if you struggle to believe that, not love. Father struggled. He struggled. And you know how he struggled? The disciples. Verse 28. 
And when he entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Like this. The disciples thought that they could, by their own power, without praying, cast out the demon. And that's ridiculous. If you fight a demon, guaranteed you will lose if you depend upon yourself. Right? That's why I should use the Greek verse 19 and calls them, O faithless generation. What Jesus is doing there is lamenting the stubborn unbelief because they failed to do even something as basic as prayer. Only prayer can do it. What Jesus said. Only prayer can do it. Now why? I like my prayers like that. But also like Magic Spell, like the Christian Pope, like Abba Dowd, like the Holy Arms, is that what we're talking about? In Jesus' name! No, right? Prayer actually has no power. Prayer has no power, except God. Prayer is powerful because God is all powerful. Prayer has no power in itself. Prayer only has power because we speak to the Almighty God. If I pray to Buddha, if I pray to Allah, if I pray to. She's on something? No power at all because there's other faith and death. But if I pray to the true God, the God who has all power, then prayer is powerful. But also, prayer is powerful only because God is compassionate towards us. Think of it if we pray to Almighty God, but that Almighty God does not want to listen to us, no power. No power. But because God is compassionate, because God loves to listen to his children, and hear their prayers. Prayer is powerful. He can do whatever he pleases. Faith has many elements and notes, but prayer is the primary instrument. What is prayer? It's an overflow of knowing and believing God. It is responding verbally to who God is and what God has done. It's the act of bringing your life to the God who knows and cares for all. What if you saw baby? We never cried. Never made a noise. Never cooed. You think he'd be sick, right? We'd be worried about him. Serious sickness. Something's wrong. Well, what if you saw a Christian who never prayed? You'd also be right to that he was sick. That something was wrong with his soul. That maybe he needed to search in bed. Because he's looking like an atheist. As if God will be real. So let me ask you. Do you pray? Do you pray? No, I'm not saying do you use the right word to pray. I'm not asking if you pray for all time. I'm not asking if you pray for future. I'm asking, do you pray at all? Not just at church because you know you have to, because everyone else is doing it. Not just because it, you know when your parents are making you do it, not just for meals because everyone else is doing it. But do you pray? Because you want to pray. Do you cry like a baby to your heavenly father? Do you talk to God as if he's real? Because he is. If you don't pray, or if you really struggle to even want to pray, I'm guessing it's because of one of two reasons. Number one, you don't think God is all powerful. Number two, you don't think God is all compassionate. From one perspective, it actually makes sense. Prayer would be worthless if God were not powerful. I mean, you wouldn't ask your two year old cousin to help you with your math work, right? It's a worthless proposition. Why would you do that? In the same way, why would you ask a powerless God to help you with your life? It makes no sense. Prayer would also be foolish if God were not compassionate. You wouldn't talk to a stranger on the street and say, hey, can you bring some ice cream just because you like me? It'd be weird. 
In the same way, why would you ask a God who you think doesn't care for you to help you with the biggest struggles of your life? You don't see God for who he really is, mighty and merciful. You will not believe him, and therefore you will not trust him, and therefore you will not pray. See those connected? Do not believe that God is mighty and merciful. You will not believe him, you will not trust him, and therefore you will not pray. The biblical faith looks not to a powerless, loveless God, but to the true and living God. True faith looks not to ourselves for power, but actually looks to the one who's strong and mighty, the Lord Jesus Christ. True faith doesn't try to work up within ourselves the power to believe, just like try harder to believe more, but actually strives to see God more clearly, more beautifully, more wonderful. When we see God for who he really is, we will respond in faith. It's a natural cause. What will we do with your suffering and your helplessness? What will we do when the cause of suffering block the light of God? You must pray. You must pray. Let me teach you one of my favorite, most common prayers. Ready? It's really complicated. Help me, Lord. That's it. Now, all of you can memorize that. All of you. Help me, Lord. That's my most common prayer. And if it's every single occasion. When you're angry, help me, Lord. Help me to love like you love. When you're bitter, help me, Lord. Help me forgive like you've forgiven me. When you're confused, help me, Lord. Help me be wise. Help me to understand what's going on. When you're tired, help me, Lord. Help me to rest in you. When you're worried, help me, Lord. Help me to trust in you. You have planned every one of my days. When you want something good in your life, help me, Lord. Would you give me this good gift? But help me to want you more. When you want something bad, help me, Lord. Take away this bad desire. Help me to want what is good and righteous and true. When you want something that is good, but you just want it way too much, help me, Lord. Help me find my pleasure not in that thing, but in you. Help me to be a slave of nothing but you. When you feel worthless, help me, Lord. Help me to find my worth, my identity, my beauty, reputation, my joy, my boast in you alone. When you have doubts, help me, Lord. Help my unbelief. Help me know the truth. Teach me the truth. In every emotion, in every stage of life, in everything, yes, literally everything, you must pray. You must pray. In conclusion, the creator of heaven and earth carries the prayers of his people. Isn't that amazing? You can talk to God who made everything with just a word. He is all powerful and he's all compassionate. He knows our pain and our needs. And the greatest proof of that is his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is he who is truly God and truly man. He came to this earth not only to demonstrate how we should live, but to show us it's impossible for us to live like he lived. He loved the fullest. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He even loved his neighbors with all that he should. But he came for more than that. He came to save sinners. He came to take the penalty of my hell and you believe in your hell forever. That was what he did on that cross. He died as a sacrifice that everyone who believed in him would be saved. He died for me because I deserve to die forever for my sins. No mere man can conquer, can conquer sin and death, but Jesus Christ did because he is God Almighty. He's a powerful God. 
But in Jesus Christ, do you also see the compassion? He did it for sinners. He did it for us. He did it for losers and weak people and miserable people. He did it for the sick. He did it for his enemies. He made a way of rescue for sinners. That's the compassion of God. God has left our greatest need in His Son. We can know Him, the fountain of life is time. And if we've trusted in Him for our greatest need, salvation, that means we can trust Him for everything else as well. Believe it. God is with you. Please pray with me. God, we believe you. We believe you're all powerful, all compassionate. We believe that Jesus died for our sins, that everyone who trusts in you will be saved. But we're hurting, Lord. We're sinning. We feel alone, angry, ugly, addicted, empty. We're spiraling. We're letting our feelings define reality rather than letting you define what is real. Lord, we know you do anything. We know you're compassionate on your people. So help us. Help us, Lord. Help us even in our unbelief. Help us to trust you. I thank you so much, Father, for the time to preach, the time to listen to your word. Be comfort us, Lord, and show us the majesty of you and yourself. I pray for small gifts, Lord, and help us to share our honesty, that we hear the sufferings of your people, and be encouraged, Lord, to bring all that suffering to your feet. And then we care for us. You're close to us. You're grand. You're mighty. Which of course, so God's perfect name.